Brian Winhurst and the Hoop Collective is presented by YouTube TV. Try it free today at youtube.com slash NBA 23. New users only. Terms apply. Cancel anytime. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we were doing on Thursday, just before midnight. The NBA's draft second round is happening. Sorry, future Nikola Jokic. We're recording this podcast during the second round. Joining me from Barclays Center down the hall from where the draft is happening is in Brooklyn, New York, is Tim Bontemps. Hello, guys. And joining us from the Dallas Mavericks facility. What's the name of the facility? Do they have a special name after a hospital system? There is a corporate sponsor that is, uh, I think there's a corporate sponsor, but I'm not quite sure which it is at this point. So we'll just call it the Mavs practice facility. Used to be, Mavs- used to be, uh, in the same building as Community Brewing Company, which I was a much fonder of that arrangement. No longer is. They're down the street now. <laughs> uh, joining us from the Dallas Mavericks practice facility and where the Mavericks were very active in the draft tonight, which we'll be talking about shortly, is Band McMahon. Howdy, partners. Apparently banned from Community Brewing. Not banned. It's just not, you know, can't just kind of slip right next door. Right. Okay, we had an eventful NBA draft day. It's still going. It's still going on, I guess. But the big event happened a couple hours before the draft. Uh, Chris Paul rerouted from the Washington Wizards to the Golden State Warriors. I'm not sure if this qualifies as light years ahead, but I have to say, I said this on the Hoop Collective draft show, which I don't know if any of you guys checked out tonight that we did. Um, I thought. Uh, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. I actually thought we had some great uh, panelists. Um, Kevin Pelton, Kirk Goldsberry, King McClure, Trey Murphy, Christine Williamson hosted it. It was great while you guys were working. Check it out. It's on YouTube. It's three hours long. I'm not expecting to watch the whole thing, but we had fun. Uh, okay. So um, Chris Paul gets rerouted there. And the first thing I thought about McMahon was this. 2019 second round of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. This is the year. This is the year after Chris Paul uh, her, uh, pulled his hamstring. After a hamstring almost, away. Mm-hmm. Uh, hamstring away. So the next year they're, they're, they they uh, are playing the Warriors in game four. Durant uh, pulls his calf muscle. Or is it game five? Game uh, five. Game five, I believe. Yes. So the Warriors get to – the Rockets get to play the Warriors, which – Chris Paul talked about uh, the other day that their entire, they were all they were was set up to play the the Warriors that year, and they get to play the Warriors without Kevin Durant. They lose Game Five, mm-hmm. which was supposed to be like their great opportunity because Durant went down in that game. Steve Kerr walks into the post game podium and calls his team effing giants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Game Six, Steph Curry goes scoreless in the first half in Houston and the Rockets still can't win the game. Uh, what's Steph doing in the second half? I believe he had, what do you have? 30, 33, 33. So this is what I remember. I am in the hallway outside the Warriors locker room as they're coming off the court. First off, even though they were three-time champions at that point, they celebrated winning that series and eliminating the Rockets on their home court without Kevin Durant, probably akin to as if they had won the Western conference for the first time. They were just short of dumping dumping water on each other. That's how excited they were. And as they were running down the hallway to the locker room, they were shouting 
down the hall towards the Rockets locker room. F Chris Paul, F Chris Paul. Uh, they were done with him by then. Um, and uh, here we are <laughs> well, four short years later, Chris Paul is a warrior. I, I think they were done with Chris Paul, but as I also think that was about, they were done with hearing about, Oh, if not for Chris Paul's hamstring, the Rockets would have would have beaten the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals the previous year. Oh, the Rockets were up three two. Chris Paul went down. That's the only reason the Warriors went on and uh, and went to win another championship. They were done with hearing that as well. But this is a fascinating trade, and it's a you know for some of the stuff you're laying out here, it's going to be a fascinating fit. But really, if you just look at that uh, Chris Paul Steph Curry relationship, which dates back to when you know Steph Curry was, I'm not going to say unheralded because he was always known as you know Del Curry's son growing up, but when he was a uh, underrated recruit, and, you know, going to Chris Paul's uh, camp growing up in North Carolina, you know, Davidson went to his camp, and so early on, it's kind of this mentoring relationship, and then you know they turned into rivals. And they turned into rivals when the Warriors, on the way to their first championship, uh, beat the the Chris Paul's Clippers in a in a playoff series. You, if you'll remember, the game that Chris Paul hurt his hamstring. One of the uh, great moments of that game was he hit a he hit a big shot, and as he's running back down the court, kind of you know did a little shimmy right up in Steph's grill, um, and you know so they go from kind of a mentoring type of thing to rivals. Two teammates now, and I assume that Chris Paul will will be Steph Curry's backup. Yeah, we we've I think we've completely missed the point of this trade to this point. I don't know why we're spending all this time talking about Chris Paul well, from five years ago. This this I is know. an admission. I just thought it was amazing. But, there, there, I, was, I mean, there was go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, we haven't talked. We haven't even said the name Jordan Poole. This this entire thing is about an admission that the Jordan Poole extension was a failure, and that this entire year. Going back to him getting punched in the face by Draymond Green, like that is the moment and everything that's happened since then, it's hung over this team. And when they, you know, when you had the new general manager of the Warriors, Mike Dunleavy, up on the stage Monday saying, we want to bring Draymond Green, we want to have him part of the team, right? All the indications are the Warriors want to bring Draymond Green back. It seemed very hard to me when you go back and read what Ramona Shelburne wrote, talking to Jordan Poole during the, um, during the second round of the playoffs against the Lakers. When you look at the way Jordan's season played out, even if you go, you know, saw there were people saying on Instagram, he immediately unfollowed Draymond after he got him traded. <laughs> it seemed very hard to believe you could have Jordan Poole and Draymond Green on the same team going forward for many reasons. I think from Jordan Poole's standpoint, perfectly justifiably and fairly. And when you look at the fact that the Warriors gave this guy a $140 million contract extension in October, and they're now trading him. 123 in the Well, incentives. okay. If you want to say okay. it's incentives, fine. It's, it was four years, right. 140. You want to say it's 125. It was a max contract. They gave, him a, they gave him a massive extension. And six months later, like, yeah, look, Chris Paul last year was probably as good or better than him. And maybe Chris Paul will help him this, uh, them this year, assuming he's on the team all the way through. But you have to look at this as mm -hmm. Warriors getting themselves out of a contract they didn't want to have. That's why they traded a future first and a second to take on 38-year-old yeah. Chris Paul on an expiring deal. That ultimately is what this is about. Going into the new CBA with the amount of money they've spent, 
know, Joe Lacob recently said, we're not going to, you know, full steam ahead. We're going to win. Blah, 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 blah. This was a cost saving move and I'm getting out of this deal. And maybe they'll turn Chris into something else. Maybe he'll be great, whatever. But to well, me, let's, that, let's, that's let's the underlying right thing of this whole trade. Yeah. It, it, okay. First off, it was a, it's a, it's a first class salary dump. Okay. For because, sure. because Chris Paul is not, he still has the ability to contribute at a significant level. He's still so a good not, player, but they didn't trade for, they didn't trade for Chris Paul because he's Chris. Paul. I know. I know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a salary dump and a chemistry cleanser. Um, but as you point out, another thing here is that the Warriors traded a 2020, 2030, um, 2030 first round pick top 20 protected 2030 first round pick, which they're only allowed to trade after July 1st, right? I guess it's after the draft, right? After the draft, after July 1st. I mean, after the draft, but this trade isn't happening until next month because it has to wait for Jordan Poole's extension to kick in. That's right. Okay. So that means that they still have two first round picks. They can trade 2026 and 2028. Well, yeah, technically they have to right now, they can only trade, uh, one because their pick goes out to 26, but they could, it's only top four protected in next in next year's draft. They could easily do something with Boston, have it fully unprotected and okay. do it that. Okay. Fair. They have, they have potential for two more first round picks they can trade and they have pick swaps they can trade. And now they've brought in a $30 million expiring contract. So <clears throat> while I do believe that they are going to intend to play Chris Paul as their backup point guard, mm-hmm. um, even though he started every game for 18 years. Um, and I do believe that he can play an interesting role when Steph is off the court. And even under some circumstances together, we'll see what Steve Kerr plans. They also have a potential trade trip that they can use down the line here. Now, the, the other thing is. The you could argue they, they have, you could argue they have $70 million in expiring contracts between him and Clay Thompson. If you really want to look at it. But I do think by moving Jordan Poole's numb money off of the books, they open up the possibility of retaining Draymond Green and Clay Thompson. It becomes more feasible. Again, I'll go back. They got Andrew Wiggins to take a pay cut. He went from 33 to 24. Draymond opted out of 27. Clay is making 43. If those guys are willing to take contracts that go out for a while and that come down in value, the come down is going to be a negotiation, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um or maybe even a descending contract. Um, I think that there's room there for the Warriors to keep that core together. No and question. I was I was dubious of that before this trade, um, and so well they had they had to move somebody, right? They they couldn't yeah. have all five of those guys on the books. Like you could make four of them work with Looney. Well, right? and they moved the guy who they moved the guy who Draymond punched in the face for a guy who Draymond at least used to want to punch in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, McMahon. You, I, I couldn't have said it better. Um, yeah, well, I so, do think it is interesting to your point about the Chris and Steph thing. The one basketball thing I do think is, is, is interesting is what have we talked about for a decade with the Warriors, right? They haven't been able to figure out a way to play when Stephen Curry is off the court. Mm-hmm. The one thing you could say about Chris Paul is when Chris Paul is out there running the offense, you know how the Warriors are going to play right? Because yeah. Chris Paul is always dictating how things are going to go. I do think that fit is potentially very interesting, and I do think it could be good. I just think the overall thing about this trade is much more about the Jordan Poole side of it. Than- sure. Well, we have talked about how Chris wants to be close to his family. We sort of thought it would be in LA, but San Francisco is just as close as Phoenix. And, and by the way, it's 
It's a chance to win, right? And by the way, one thing real quick, to talk about the Washington side of this for a minute. People have been killing the new people in Washington, Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, Travis Schlank, their whole regime for the past week. I think insanely. Going people back who to have the been Bradley killing Beal them trade. don't listen to this podcast and don't know the NBA. I totally agree. I think these guys have done a great job when you look at what they did. They got four pick swaps and six second round picks for Bradley Beal, a guy who had a no trade clause and probably the worst contract in the league. They then turned Chris Paul. I got to tell you, my jaw dropped when I saw four pick swaps. Was that out there? I didn't know it was going to be four. No, no. It was all the pick swaps they could trade. So so they got everything they could possibly get from the Suns in that deal, which I'll get to at the end. Then I really like the fact that they got Jordan Poole and this first and second for Chris Paul, a guy who clearly had a limited trade market, which is why the Suns were shopping him around. I mean, it makes you wonder in a vacuum, would the Suns be better off just trading Chris Paul for Jordan Poole? Like, that's an interesting debate. Like, instead of trading all this stuff for Bradley Beal, maybe I've just traded it for Jordan Poole instead. It's an interesting thing to think about. But that's a guy that I think long-term, the Wizards, I mean, he's going to be the centerpiece of the Wizards' offense. He's going to get a ton of shots up. He's probably going to score a lot. He's a guy that going forward, I think, could have value for them going forward. He averaged 24, 25 a game as a starter this year. And I thought they did a great job in this reworked Boston trade, which we'll also get to. Um, getting Tyus Jones, guy McMahon knows a lot about from being in Memphis, mm-hmm. best backup point guard in the league, very quality starting caliber point guard, guy who's had the best assist turnover ratio in the league the past several years, um, and a high second round pick. Like they turned all that into those, you know, a, a new starting backcourt, and then made a smart move thought to go up and get a really intriguing player in the draft and well, I'll cool up Ali, Victor Wembanyama's teammate. I think they and, had a great week. Well, and again, the point for the Wizards is not to try to compete to be in playing contention with a month left that's in right. the season, which is what, like, that's been the definition of their last few seasons. The point is to get the hell out of that position and mm-hmm. begin a real rebuild that is years overdue. I think they've done a really good job. Really good. And they and they may not be done. And you know they well that they they're definitely not done. I mean they they well, still yeah, got Michael got, Morris on the team. They got mm-hmm. they could trade ties again if they wanted to. Like they they, they got a sign lot of trade things they could Kuzma. do. They right, there's another absolutely, absolutely. I, I'd I be calling think, San Antonio really and asking if they want a good run your run your offense veteran point guard. I'll tell you what, man. Yeah, Ty, man. Either Tyus Jones or Monty Morris. Would exactly. Be awesome. Guy, yeah, in San Antonio. Have, right. Assist to turnover ratio, rank right up the top. Just get you in your offense. Make sure Victor's getting the ball, you know, getting the ball at his spots, running the show. I, I would call San Antonio and see if, you know, who's loaded up on picks. I'd see if there's something there. No question. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. For the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, 
eBay Motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts. 122 million. For your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. So they were getting in the initial trade that was being discussed and never got consummated with with the Clippers, where it would have been Malcolm Brogdon as the primary piece going out from Boston instead of Marcus Smart. The Wizards were getting the 35th pick and Marcus Morris. There were some other things in there. But 30th, was, 30th, 30th pick. I'm sorry, Marcus you're right, Morris. 30th pick and Marcus mm-hmm. Morris. Also, I think they were getting uh, Danilo Gallinari, who they all they ended up getting anyway. And yes, yes, yes. And Amir Coffee. And Amir Coffee. So they end up pivoting and get Tyus Jones, who, you know, Marcus Morris has some value, but Tyus Jones can be their starting point guard going mm-hmm. forward if well, they Marcus want. Mo- Marcus Morris has value as an expiring contract. Tyus Jones has value, period. What's interesting is the previous regime in Washington considered going after Tyus Jones in free agency to be their starting point guard. And by the way, there were multiple teams that were trying to get Tyus Jones. The Grizzlies apparently decided they were going to trade him, and there were a couple other teams, at least one that I know of, that thought they were close to getting Tyus Jones. So so when that trade, when they back, when, when the – when the Clippers and, and Celtics couldn't make the trade for uh, involving um, Brogdon, mm-hmm. another trade, at least one more trade that was gaining traction fell apart for Tyus Jones, and they rerouted to go get Marcus Smart, which they gave two first-round picks for, although the two first-round picks that the Mem- that Memphis gave are you know, just number 25 tonight and the Warriors pick next year, which well, – we'll, we'll see what the Warriors pick is going to be. Gonna say, we'll and, see. And, they got the whole team. And I'm curious, like, did the Celt- would the Celtics have preferred Memphis's pick next year instead of the Warriors? That that that's kind of an interesting. I, I don't know the answer to that, but Memphis was at a point where they honestly did not want to draft a player this year because they've got more than enough developmental projects. They've drafted several players, and you know they, they need they needed to uh, not have another you know, young project type of guy on the roster and and get somebody who could help them try to win right now. They got the opposite of a young project in Marcus Smart. Now, you know mm-hmm. them very well, um, McMahon. I know that you don't, it's not exactly breaking news that the Grizzlies need some, needed some veteran voices in that room. Marcus Smart, who I have spent many times talking to after big games, He's a go-to guy to talk to, and I know you have two the, attempts. The, the, go, the go-to guy in Boston, yeah. in the heart and soul of the Celtics. I mean, it, it is a that was a fascinating pivot, and for a variety of reasons. The second that Memphis got involved, I knew Marcus Smart was going to Memphis. The Grizzlies have been trying to get a guy like Marcus Smart, as our buddy Worldwide Wild, I think, perfectly tweeted after the trade. He's everything Dylan Brooks thought he was as a player. Yep. Like Marcus Smart is a perfect fit to me for what Memphis is looking for. And look, Washington benefited because they paid a price to get him. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around this trade from the Celtics standpoint. Like that to go from Marcus Smart to Christas Porzingis, who had a great year last year, is a really interesting fit. Mm-hmm. It's just such a radical shift 
for well, the who thing the Celtics is, are and how they play. It's going to be fascinating to see what they look the, like in a couple months. They had they had this individual trade deadline for Chris Haps Porzingis. Now Porzingis is his, yeah. he had his option in his contract that was at midnight. This was negotiated midnight, midnight Wednesday night. Right. Four years ago with the Mavericks, mm-hmm. that, that it would be the day before the 2023 draft is basically the negotiation. The the higher level player you are, the earlier your, your option tends to be. Um, but June 21st is pretty early for an option. So mm-hmm. pretty well, this early is when, option this is when the Mavericks gave Porzingis a full max contract with a player option, which as you're pointing out is, is a particularly favorable player option, despite the fact that uh, he was coming off of an ACL and had never played a second for them. And it's a great point. I forgot about that. And yep. he had the option to extend. He could have, you know, by mutual agreement, you could extend the option. He could have done it 24 hours. And they elected not to do that. Uh, when I say they, the Porzingis group elected not to do that. I asked one of the teams involved and they said, we asked and it wasn't an option. So mm-hmm. Gallen, or, um, Porzingis had reason to apply pressure and Boston under pressure executed yeah. this trade. Now I'm sure they had talked at length. It wasn't like I, the idea of trading Marcus smart came up in the afternoon. They yeah. had obviously talked at length about whether or not they were going to be in position to trade Marcus smart. And I will say that if you're going to trade Marcus smart, getting Chris Haps Porzingis who averaged 23, eight, um, one and a half blocks, um, shot almost 50% from the field, uh, shot 39% from three point range and two first round picks. That is a tremendous return, tremendous return for a player that puts up the numbers that Marcus Smart puts up. But obviously he is a legacy player with the Celtics mm-hmm. and um, it's hard to quantify. And obviously this, it, it was a hard call for the Celtics. They wanted to better balance their roster. It was very clear. They identified Porzingis as a guy they badly wanted. Because they which rammed is, this sucker through. Which is interesting because the places where Porzingis has been, I've talked to folks uh, at both those spots, and I'm kind of like, mm, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see for Boston. There, there's certainly some skepticism. And Porzingis had a great individual year last year where there was absolutely zero pressure on him, right? Because everybody he also played 65 games for the first time since his second year. He's not been healthy, not just because of the yeah. knee, but because of the other stuff, right? Now, they do have a. They do have a very yeah. He's had he's had back. He's had knee, both knees. Well, I think um, it's safe to say he could have played more games last year, but they were in uh, shall we say in a very conservative mode down the stretch in terms of wins and losses. Yeah, and I also think in fairness, Porzingis played sixty five. I think Porzingis, no. I know. I'm saying he could have even played more. Is my point. Yeah, I, I do think Porzingis has matured a lot, certainly since he was in New York, and and even when he was in uh, in Dallas, I think getting traded the way he did from Dallas. Uh, he's talked about this was a humbling experience. Uh, they do have a very interesting kind of three big rotation there now with him, Robert Williams, and uh, and Al Horford. And I think Porzingis can play with either of those other two guys. Um, but you know, where both those guys are very switchy, Porzingis is is certainly not. But you know, they they got a player they wanted. They did get two first round picks out of the deal, which I think you got to look at that and say, hey, that, that's pretty good value. Um, but if I'm looking at this trade, I think the winners of the trade was the Memphis Grizzlies, um, simply because like Marcus Smart fills in so many of their needs, right? They needed 
a defensive stopper to replace Dylan Brooks. They had no intention of uh, attempting to resign. Boom. Yep. You can check that off the list. They needed uh, veteran leadership. And look, Tyus Jones is a, is a solid vet. But I think there's a major difference in the, not only the way that his voice carries, but the way Marcus Smart is willing to use his voice and the impact it comes that comes from a guy. Okay, hey, you guys are, have been out of the first round once. Okay, I've played however many playoff games he's played. He's been to the finals. Like his voice is going to carry in that locker room. And then he's a he's a different type of point guard from Tyus Jones, but. He is a guy who can start 25 games at point guard while John Morant is uh, is not there and then move over and he'll take the toughest defensive assignment, one through three, sometimes even four, uh, once Jaws in the starting lineup with him. And then he'll be their backup point guard at that, at that point. So he fills a ton of – in some ways you can say he, he fills the roles played by both Tyus Jones and Dylan Brooks for the last few years. Yeah, and he, I think you're totally right on that. I actually think from like a value standpoint, I would argue everybody in the trade won. It's a real, I think it's sort of a everybody wins trade from that standpoint, but it's just so fascinating to see the Celtics go from thinking about doing a Brogdon trade, which would have been, I think, a really safe trade. Since you would have yeah. just been Malcolm Brogdon for Chris Tess which I, I really liked when I thought that was what the deal was going to be. Um, and then, you know, obviously it didn't go that way. But to go from what was a really safe trade to what was a wildly risky trade in doing this Marcus Smart deal for Porzingis and two firsts, like it's just I don't know if it's wildly risky, but it's definitely well. here's risking the culture. Here's why I'd say it's wildly risky because to your to McMahon's point about the roster, right? The Celtics wanted like you were talking that they wanted to better balance out their roster. I would argue their roster doesn't really make a lot of sense right now. You have three essentially centers on your team who last year, what, what were we talking about, Brian, all throughout the playoffs and really all throughout the season? Joe Mazzulla was playing one of their bigs at a time, right? So now they've got three bigs. He was doing that because he had to play his best li- 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 lineups. He had he was to play his best well, players. I'm, he had I'm to just, play too many perimeter players. That's what I mean by balancing the roster. Well, yes, but my point is they now have three centers that I, I'm not sure, A, the coach is going to be super jazzed to play together, and B, I'm not exactly sure you can play all three well, of them trying, or even two of them it together. Looks to me, like they're trying to make him play them together. Well, well, I think – to me, it's a couple things. You could argue that. You could argue this isn't over yet in terms of making this roster over, right? As we've been doing the pod, the Celtics made about 9,000 trades moving down from 25. They got, I don't know how many second round picks. I got confused literally trying to keep track of. Adrian just kept tweeting every couple minutes. The Celtics are moving down again a few spots. I think they ended up with five or six second round picks from that 25th pick. So they, they moved a bunch of stuff around to do that. They obviously still have Malcolm Brogdon on the roster. They still have to figure out what to do with Grant Williams, who's a restricted free agent. They're up near the second apron. Like that, Marcus Smart was their not only the heart and soul of their team in a lot of ways, and they're sort of the vocal leader of the team, which they don't really have any sort of now. He also was their best passer, arguably. And while I think Derek White's terrific, and I think in more than capable, step in and play point guard. Like Chris Asporzingis, as McMahon knows, especially, is not a great passer. Like he's great at other things, but like they. They've just so completely shifted the way their team is built by making this trade that I do think it's wildly risky. I don't think it's necessarily bad. I think the value is really good. And now they also have a giant $36 million expiring contract with these two picks and other picks in the future. So maybe they 
decide to make some big swing down the road or something, but it just doesn't feel like they're done yet. And if they go into the season with some roster resembling what they have now, it's just going to be fascinating to see what it looks like because it just, it doesn't feel anywhere near like the team that I thought was the deepest team in the East last year. One other thing I'll say about this trait. One of the reasons why I think it was value to Memphis is that Marcus Smart has uh, three years at less than $20 million a year left on his contract, still in his prime years. To be in a market like Memphis and get a player like that for that price is extremely Mm -hmm. valuable. Well, Um, look, that's why they're trying to go after guys like Mikael Bridges, right? Like Zach Kleiman, the GM of the Grizzlies, clearly identifying wing players, you know, guards slash wing players who are under contract that fit like exactly like we said, the kind of role they were trying to fill to allow Dylan Brooks to go elsewhere. And I think McMahon said it perfectly. You look at what Marcus Smart does. I think he checks a lot of the boxes that Tyus Jones does and a lot of the boxes that Dylan Brooks does in one guy. Yeah. And you can say, hey, when they're going jaw, Bane, Smart, boy, that that's a little undersized, pretty undersized. Okay. But, but Smart plays Bane. Up. Smart defense. Well, so does Bane. Those guys are both tanks. So does Bane. And you've got Jaron Jackson. They've got the last two defense player of the year. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. swatting everything. And then, you know, Steven Adams, if he's back healthy uh, and, and and they don't end up moving him, um, then <laughs> this, this the strongest dude in the, in the NBA. Yeah. So and I don't think any of these teams are done. I think all three mm-hmm. of them are going to still be active yep. in the Agreed. next week. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with Brogdon, whether they're able to move him. Um, you know, it's it's you know, possible that, you know, they have the future second round first future, first round pick. They have other assets they've been able to pick up. So, and they still have some sell, you know, they Peyton Pritchard was going to be in the deal and he ended up not being in the deal. So they still have Peyton Pritchard. They can aggregate in a trade. Okay. I also think I also, I'm going to check quick. I also think they have basically all of their future first too. I think they've traded one swap, but otherwise they have, yeah, they've, they've traded one swap. But otherwise, they the have all their first-round picks. Yeah, yeah. they've traded. I have all their first-round picks, though. Okay, well, keep an eye on the Celtics. Uh, and it was a strong. Like, look, you, you may not be in love with Porzingis. That is, that's a power move. It may have some risk to yeah. it. That it's also got a upgrade. lot of upside. It's a fascinating yeah. trade. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, especially when we're not sure if Milwaukee is going to be able to keep its team together. We're not sure what Philadelphia is going to do regarding to keep its team together. Um, Miami. Also, well, we're going to talk about that there. right now. Okay, yeah. so so the draft ended tonight, and um, the, the Trailblazers used picks three and twenty-three. They did not acquire a veteran. They did not make a big move. Um, they did get Scoot Henderson, who they and a lot of people believe is a potential franchise player. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea if it'll work out or not, but there's a lot of people who, who I respect who believe that he could be. Um, this is exactly uh, what Dame said he did not want. Not want. He did not a youth movement. He uh, he wanted veteran help. I will give the qualifier that I have given in the past, which is that there are more ways for them to add veterans than just trade draft picks. They have other young players in their team they can trade. Um, it doesn't mean that it's over, but um, I think especially when they didn't trade 23, it was kind of an – you know, who knows what their offer was, but it was kind of, you know, they've made their decision. So their hope from what I understand is 
just give Scoot a chance. Watch him play in summer league. Come to training camp. Look how you fit with him. Like what happens if you wait till summer league and this guy looks like an absolute killer? We've seen this before. And I don't know what Dane's going to do, but I know that the teams out there who watch all this uh, uh, unfold are readying their offers Mm -hmm. for what happens. So we'll see what happens in the next couple of days, if not sooner. And um, we know who's going to be out there. We know that Miami is going to be there. Um, We suspect that Brooklyn is going to be there. And my think is there's going to be another handful of teams that try to come knocking if slash when Dame decides to, to make a move. And I don't know, you know, Dame has said so many times that, you know, the loyalty is there and he shot down the rumor so many times, maybe he wakes up tomorrow, maybe whatever they discuss with him. I think he's actually overseas right now, but maybe, maybe, maybe whatever, maybe I don't want to make any assumptions, but it is what I think. I think what you said is important, right? That there's still time for Portland to do stuff. It's not like the offseason ended today, right? They have the ability to still change the roster, to improve the roster, to make moves. But this was certainly why we kept talking about this being a pivotal moment because you have this third pick. I'm with you. I think Scoot Henderson is going to be awesome. I'm very happy for our guy, Mike Schmitz, that he got to Portland. I think he's going to be great there. But – I think to me, it was this was a pretty interesting moment to see what are they going to do? Are they going to try to push in, try to be competitive with Dane, or are they going to take a more patient approach? Now, obviously, when it came to that pick, which, by the way, I think is the right move. I think if you have a chance to get a franchise point guard at 19 with where Portland's at, I don't think trading him for win now help makes sense for where the team is at. But now that they didn't do that, well, are there other moves they're going to make between now and sometime in free agency that will – satisfy Dame and make him think, all right, we've got scoop, but we're going in the right direction as far as being competitive. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But certainly this was a big moment to see a, a dramatic swing that would have said Damian Lillard is going to be in Portland. And I think what's safe to say is, I think the only, well, I should say, to me, the only responsible thing to say at this point is that what happened today at least leaves the door open for him to leave. Whereas right. opposed to them making a move would have closed it. And Dame has cracked the door, right? He cracked yeah. the door in his exit interview he, where he made it very clear, I am not about a youth movement. He cracked the door wider when he was willing to talk about, oh, yeah, Miami would be really attractive. Yeah, Brooklyn too. Like, you know, he, he hasn't Dame, shied away Dame from talking Lillard. about the speculation. Damian Lillard is as media savvy as any player in the NBA. He knows 100%. he he knows when he entertains those possibilities exactly what the uh what the reaction is going to be. So, you know, we shall see. We shall. I feel like we're gonna be talking more about that a lot uh in the coming days. There's nothing more to really say at this point. Okay. We'll see. All right, let's talk about the draft. That happened tonight. Um some drama at number two and three, but um, Gavoni had this one. Props to our guy, said, Jonathan Gavoni. He was sitting next to me the whole draft. He had this giant Cheshire grin, fat grin on his face. He was so happy. He was nailing him and Jeremy. We were nailing draft picks left and right. I think he got like over 20 of his mocks, right? Mock first round picks, right? He was so happy. So shout, shout out to Jonathan. Shout out to Jonathan, who's been saying for six weeks that Brandon Miller is going to be the pick and number two. And he was the pick at number two. Yeah, it, and he stuck with it when there was pressure elsewhere. 
Um, and, uh, and, and, and so did Woj. Woj stuck with it as well. And mm-hmm. uh, just tremendous work there. And look, that was a big choice for the, for the uh, Hornets. One of the most important things that Mitch Kupchak said um, when he had his press conference uh, on uh, was Wednesday or Tuesday or Wednesday, he yeah. said, we, it was nice to have these guys in for workouts. They had them both Henderson and Miller in for workouts twice, but they doesn't overrule what you've done for months. Mm-hmm. And the work that they did for months said Brandon Miller. It is um, a lot of people think Brandon Miller is an excellent pick. A lot of people think Scoot Henderson was number two on the board, but it is uh, I was hearing as far back as January, that Brandon Miller was going to go to number two, whoever it was. So that's what the Hornets went with. They have to trust their system and we'll see. And Brandon Miller, what is he? Six, eight, six, nine. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent shooter can put the ball on the floor. A lot going for him. Um, Big and, Paul George fan. Well, I mean, I felt I feel a little bad for Brandon Miller because when he answered this goal question with Paul George, it seemed pretty obvious to me he was talking about how he's modeled his game after Paul George. And by the way, he said my he said of, my goat. Well, yes, I know, but he but he even went on to say he talked about how he's always tried to study his game. And if you watch clips of Brandon Miller, I do not pretend to be Jonathan Gavoni or Jeremy Wu. Those guys spend months looking at this stuff. If you just watch clips of Brandon Miller, you could see why or how he's been watching Paul George, right? Like you could see him turning I mean, into the, a Paul George type player, which if he, he did, that's a hell of a pick. Literally the way he moves, like his sort of side to side movement, which is like sort of out of control, but in control at the same time, like he clearly has studied his game. Yeah. So, and by if the way, Paul George, Paul George, the Hornets will be thrilled. Paul George is going to be a hall of famer. <laughs> so yeah. That, that wouldn't be a, a bad a bad pick at all. Um, okay, of the things that in this draft that I'm going to take away, number one, um, Indiana moves back one spot and drafts the guy that they were going to draft anyway that they wanted to, um, yep. Jarius Walker um, at power forward. They pick up a couple of picks. Good business for the Pacers. By the way, the Pacers also, earlier in the day, moved down seven spots in the second round of the draft, moved from pick 40 to 47 in the draft. They already had what four picks in. They moved seven spots down in the second round and got $4.7 million from the Lakers to do it. That has got to be one of the most aggressive cash moves in the history of the second round. And we've seen some crazy stuff. Well, especially, especially when it happened at like six o'clock. Like it wasn't Seriously, like it happened when they were on the board. The, that's what I mean. It was it was very strange. Like just I mean, to the, like it was very the Lakers throw the Lakers throw around four million dollars like manhole covers. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Okay. I mean, all right. Listen, it was, it was quite the move. Secondly, um, the reason that I think Washington did that is that they were they believed that Indiana was going to trade number seven elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And they moved yes, up. That's that was what I had heard too. To get Bilal Koulibaly. Um, I have I can't hang for five seconds in draft <laughs> analysis with guys like Jeremy Wu and Jonathan Gavoni. However, Bilal well, Koulibaly is a guy that I have seen. And yeah. Mr. Frenchman, Mr. Hey, Frenchman, hey, hey, hey just and just to be clear to folks out there, Wendy did not fly to France just for a 90 second interview. 
with uh that's <laughs> with, right with vic when the lottery was when the lottery I think it was, was like 70 was, i think it was 75 he was, seconds <laughs> he was studying he was studying Bilal Koulibaly, the exactly. best friend of victor Wembanyama, who i watched in multiple games including junior games and in practice uh i was surprised he went seventh um yeah Definitely a high upside player because of size, but I'm not going to break it down here. I, I'm not good at it. But I'm just saying I was surprised he went seven. But if surprised... he was going to if he was going to go seven, it's going to be a team that is just entering a rebuild, right? Which Washington is. It was a high, you know, a high ceiling swing for a team that frankly is not trying to win next year. Now, listen. Should is Washington late as far as this? If you want to call it a tank thing, rebuild, whatever, are they a year late? Obviously, but <laughs> this new regime wasn't there last year, so don't blame them. Well, well, and he also, I mean, he he's one of the guys who's really had a lot of helium late in the draft mm-hmm. process. He played really, really well down the stretch for Metropolitan. Ninety-two was great at times in the playoffs for them. Helped them get to the finals with Victor. Obviously, lost to Monaco in the championship round, but like he he shot up a bunch the last few weeks. And I mean, look, you watch, like, again, you watch clips of him. You could see why like, he's a big time athlete, long athletic. I mean, walk around with Victor, they both, you know, they certainly both look like they looked a part of lottery picks. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent a little time with those guys yesterday and they're, you know, I think Victor and his crew was hoping that he would wind up in San Antonio together because they clearly are very tight. But like you said, big man, I think it's a great potential situation for him to go to Washington, a roster where they currently don't really have any wings and like, Hey, have them just roll out there and play and learn and just get a bunch of reps and experience. So it's a good landing spot for him. I thought it was slick work by Indiana. Jairus Walker is another guy who's interesting. Just size wise sort of reminds you of Paul Millsap. If he becomes a Paul Millsap type player, that would be great for Indiana. Should be a good fit with their young roster with obviously with Tyrese Halliburton becoming a star there. Like, Mm -hmm. Thought that was pretty slick work by them to get a couple seconds to get the guy they wanted anyway. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. You won't find a satellite dish, but you will find your MLB games are on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com and sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. All right, why don't you talk about what Dallas did tonight, McMahon? Yeah, so obviously there was, I think number 10 was as disgust of a lottery pick as there was. 
And there was, you know, the Mavericks explored a bunch of stuff. They had conversations with teams and they went into this with three goals and and not believing they would be able to achieve all three. If they were could have gone two out of three, they'd have been very happy. They went two out of three. Those three goals, in, in, in no particular order here, dump a bad contract, stay in the first round, but but move down and acquire a veteran starter. So obviously they did not acquire a veteran starter, but for them to be able to dump Davis Berton's contract and move down two spots to take the guy who they liked at number 10 anyway, um, and, and Derek Lively the second, who, listen, I uh, will see how much he's ready to contribute next year, but he is- He sure can block like, shots. Right. He's, he's a, they needed rebounding, rim protection, and big athleticism. He is certainly all those things. Uh, they said he shot the hell out of the ball at Clutch's pro day, but they're not expecting him to come in and be a, a, a floor spacing big. If, if he develops into that, that's a huge bonus. Michael Finley, you know, the comparison he made, he said, I hate to do this because in, in Dallas, this guy's royalty, but he said he reminds me of a young Tyson Chandler, right? And, you know, the vision is of this guy being a pick and roll partner. For Luka Doncic, who's the defensive anchor, who's who's you know one of the best shot blockers in the league, who's a you know a plus rebounder. Uh, again, he's a one and done. We'll see if he's ready to do it right away. They're going to have to throw him out there some just for his development. Um, and then with that trade exception that they got, they turned around later in the first round and picked up uh, Rashawn Holmes from Sacramento, which it's a sac it, it's a salary dump. You know, the guy fell out of the Kings rotation last year, 29 years old. We'll see if he can contribute to the Mavs, but it, that's, a, that's a salary dump. But then they get the 24th pick to get uh, this Omax character who, you know, six. <laughs> six <laughs> I'm not going to try. Oh, listen, Olivier, I never thought. The, Olivia Max is Prosper is his name. There you go. Uh, just so thought, people are aware, in case they're not draft nicks, who is this Omax guy? <laughs> uh, after the Olivier St. John slash Tariq Abdul Wahad situation, where Cuban had to pay him a whole bunch of money to not play for the Mavericks, I never thought he'd do another Olivier. Hey, but where did they draft Dorian Finney Smith? They didn't. Undrafted. Was, okay. Yeah. This is a three and this is a three and D. I don't remember. I, we're, I really, we're really, we're really, we're really killing it with the draft analysis tonight. Yeah, he he's a D. He he he's he can you know. He's six eight seven one wingspan, very athletic. Going to have to develop as a three point shooter. You know that that's the big question there. But look, they needed length. They needed athleticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got two first round picks, um, and and were able to still come out on top this year as far as uh, you know the salary shifting enough so to where they went from being a taxpayer mid level team to a full mid-level team, which is a massive difference in being able to add another rotation player, potentially even a starter. And, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there about like, for example, the Mavericks having discussions with the Hawks, which they absolutely did. Breaking news. The Hawks are trying to dump John Collins. (laughs) Guess what? (laughs) They were trying to dump him before they gave him this huge extension. They've been trying to dump him since the ink was dry. Um, the Mavericks asked for Clint Capella. My understanding is the Hawks asked for the Mavericks to throw in Josh Green or uh, Jaden Hardy, which is a that's a no go. Those are young players that the Mavericks really like. 
Um, so instead of instead of doing something like that, they drafted a guy who they believe can become a Capella type of player. Now, I don't know exactly what the discussions were with DeAndre Hunter is the player who would have been coming here. Um, I do know that some people within the Mavs looked at and said, like the player, but not at that money. Well, and, and let's real quick, because I, I obviously have been here at the draft dealing with stuff. Um, I thought it was pretty slick work by Dallas to get essentially turn 10 into two first round picks sliding back um, mm-hmm. to get a guy in lively that Jonathan had a 10. And like you said, they got a ton of defensive athleticism. makes a lot of sense. What do we think? I mean, them getting the full mid-level. I didn't realize they, they'd done that with yeah. those moves. I knew they saved money this year. That is pretty significant to me. Like, do you have a sense of, like, is that try to get another wing defender type player? Is that something yeah. else? Like, is, what do you think they try to do there? My best guess would be a, another wing defending type of player. And they've been very clear. I'm, and this is like a duh. They were one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They were one of the worst rebounding teams in the league. Those are the needs that they're trying to address. They are going to attempt to re-sign Kyrie Irving. I would say they are optimistic. And I would say the optimism is much uh, more, I would say, realistic than it was with Jalen Brunson last year. Remember last year, the Knicks moved a bunch of money around in the draft. And that's when that optimism went like, oh, wow, they really could create cap space that easy. Whereas I don't see another real option right now for Kyrie, right? So point being, if they have Luke and Kyrie, they're going to be able to score. They've got to be able to stop somebody, and they've got to be able to rebound the damn ball. So those are the priorities there. And so, you you know, the the – one of the main reasons so many people thought the Mavericks were going to trade that 10th overall pick is because they have to win soon, right? We've talked about that time, yep. you know, tick, tick, tick. Well, they drafted two guys in this draft that they could theoretically use as trade chips, plus whoever they signed. Right. Uh, they did They did well on assets, plus we'll see what Sean Holmes does. Well, and the um, other thing would, is, I mean, it's, not like, it's not like the Mavericks have to, it's not like they have to win X amount of games. Basically, the, the Mavericks just have to have this thing positioned to where Luca feels good about the future, right? And if so, mm-hmm. you know, hey, theoretically, if they go get a solid player with the mid-level, you know, they're back in the playoffs next year, and he sees, wow, you know, this lively kid, I think he's going to be a good one. Hey, this Omax dude, like, okay, I see it. Luca often has good outlooks like that. I agree. Well, I'll say this, and I've, I've said it the whole time. I do think Luca will. I think he will look for reasons to stay in Dallas, and and not reasons he wants to leave. But again, last year reasons were. You know, you can't have another year like that. You can't have it where the reasons are punching you in the face. We do, talked totally, about a lot of face punching this this podcast. Well, you are on it in, in, to, in total speculation. You have a mode. punchable face. Well, like I said, you're on the pod, so I knew it would come up. Uh, it feels like they could potentially be, in my mind, a Dylan Brooks team now that they have a full mid-level. Does that – what do we think of that? I it's an interesting say, fit I with their offense. Wants, I think Dylan Brooks wants more in the mid-level. I, well, I, would, say, I, I would say Dylan Brooks might end up in my state, but I, would be, I don't necessarily think Dallas would be the spot. I, I would tend to agree, but it, it it was an interesting, it's interesting trying to think about guys for the full mid-level and with 
guys like Luca and Kyrie next to him, the, some of the other offensive issues for Dylan Brooks would be all right. A couple less more painful. things. No, because right, he'd be taking things. shots away from them. <laughs> well, a couple more also things. True. In this trade, in these trades, Oklahoma City. Now, last year, if you remember, Oklahoma City, they had the twelfth pick, and they were sufficiently nervous about someone. The Knicks pick, which was right in front of them, was on sale. And they were sufficiently nervous about somebody jumping in front of them and taking their player, which was mm-hmm. uh, Jalen Williams, mm-hmm. that they traded to get the 11th pick and took and took it anyway. They did it again tonight. They had the 12th pick. They knew that the 10th pick in, in Dallas was very much on the market. They weren't sure what Dallas was doing. Yeah. So they move in and get the 10th pick just to make sure they get the guy that they wanted. How do you see? You said Case and Wallace. I am ignorant. Case and Wallace, yeah, Texas baby. Case and Wallace from Kentucky. Richardson, maybe he'll be Texas. a Hall of Famer. Maybe he'll be a bit player. I don't know. I just think it's interesting that they took on twenty-two million dollars of Davis Bertans. Yeah, to move up two spots in the draft. Well, and look, you could you could say, hey, with this, you got to be at the floor. They're going to have to spend that money somehow. It's not like. Uh, you know, Bricktown is some huge free agency destination. You know, you you, you can talk about be that. For you. Man, um, <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been criticized by Bricktown residents for my infrequent appearances. Um, you could, but yeah, hey, I told them to get out of the G League, and they've done that. Oklahoma City actually is, I think, going to be a very interesting team sooner than later, but potentially as soon as next season. Um. I don't know. We'll see what Berton. Their big draft pick this year is Chet Holmgren. Exactly. Well, but, uh, well exactly. interesting. But, but but they need you know their needs rim protection, which Holmgren uh, addresses that three point shooting, which Holmgren also addresses. But maybe there's a a little role for Bertans because the one you got to guard the guy. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I thought it was a pretty expensive price. Um, well, I didn't have to give up any of their picks. And, no, the, and salary space is what they have. Yeah, well, right. That's that's the interesting thing. So Bobby Marks already has Bertans into their uh, into their money for next year, and even with even with him on the books, they now have basically somewhere between twelve and fifteen guys, depending on what they do with Isaiah Joe, Jeremiah Robinson, Earl, and Aaron Wiggins. They're Non guaranteed. Don't let guys. Isaiah Joe go. That I was going to say. Yeah. Pretty confident. I, pretty confident. Isaiah Joe's going to be on the team. I'm just saying. I actually like Wiggins too. No, I do too. But like they, they're still only. They still are going to have a significant amount of money to get to the salary floor, right? Even with Bertans, and they might only have one roster spot. So it is. It, if there was a team that was going to take on that much money even though I think it's a lot of money to move up two spots in the draft. It does make sense that it's them. And look, we saw Mike Muscala fit in really well. There is a floor space in five. Yeah. Hey, Thomas Bertans out there with chat. Maybe they can make it work. What they did, what they did in the draft last year worked because yeah. Jalen Williams was a first Sam team knows what he's working. doing. I think it's yeah, safe to it say worked. that was interesting. Okay. Now the thing that got my eyes going tonight, this they use the 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 the, the uh, trade exception that they're going to generate for taking for trade the, the Mavericks you know offload Davis Bertans into the Thunder's cap space mm-hmm. creates a trade exception which they turn around and use for Rashawn Holmes. Why would Sacramento 
That's the 24th pick what? to open up salary cap space. Why would they do that? All of a sudden, the Sacramento Kings have more than $30 million in cap space. Pelton told me it was $36 million tonight, and I'll trust him. What's going on there, guys? What's going on there? And Pelton and I were talking about it on this show. I know the Jordan Poole trade is a strong indication that Draymond Green is all lol sealed, signed, and delivered. He opted out of $27 million. I suspect the Warriors were hoping he would take a pay cut, kind of like the, mm-hmm. I think the Bucks are hoping with um, Chris Middleton that he will t- reduce the front end of the salary and take longer money or maybe take, even if it's the same money, take a descending contract. To be clear, I still think that is what will happen. Maybe. I'm not okay. going to guarantee, I'm hey, not guarantee I'm not t- it. I'm, hey, hey, man, I'm not, I'm not saying it. it's going to happen. I'm just saying that Mike Brown and Draymond Green have a tremendous sure. relationship. I was going to say, Draymond they know Green, each other? And Draymond Green would be an incredible addition to the Kings. What do the incredible Kings need? Wow. What do the Kings need? They need a guy to be the defensive guy next to Sabonis, and they need a defensive voice, a veteran voice. I do. I do think it is. A, it is a fascinating fit. I do think there could potentially be a lot of awkwardness with that fit. I mean, a you have the whole Draymond. We're talking about. We began the pod talking about Draymond Green punching. Jordan Poole in the face. Now we're talking about the guy that Jerry McGreed stopped on during the playoff series, playing next to him in Demonis Sabonis. I've seen, I've seen wider golfs overcome. I, I know. The, I do think it is. It, it would be, I think, a bit of an awkward fit to try to play those two guys together. Obviously, they're both non-shooters. Um, you know, we'll see how Draymond looks when he's not playing with Steph and Clay. I, we've talked. I don't know if we talk about this on the pod. I, no, we're, 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 I don't think we're going to see it. I, I've just. No, at the I, very least, it gives Draymond some. They have, they some have a lot of salary. The Warriors. They have a lot of salary cap space now. Obviously, now part of this, I think, is it does set up the ability for Sacramento to renegotiate and extend Demonis Sabonis' contract. He has one year left on his deal. Obviously, had a fantastic year. Want him and De'Aaron Fox together going forward. I would be really interested in Sacramento trying to bring NorCal native Brooke Lopez back to. To you said his this to me a couple region. of months ago, and I thought it was incredibly insightful then, and I think it's incredibly insightful I, now. Because I think he does a lot of the same stuff for them that Draymond Green does, but he has the ability to space the floor, much like Miles Turner did when Devontae Sopontos played next to him. Now, obviously, with how fast the Kings like to play, Brooke is obviously not the fastest guy, but I think that is a very interesting fit, and I think it might be cleaner. But the point is... The Kings have a lot of cap space. They had to make a great this happen. They have year. to let Harrison Barnes go. Just to be clear, well, I know, but Harrison Barnes was not that great during the playoffs, and like they have the ability to potentially make a move to upgrade there. Like they they can do a lot. It's it's a very interesting spot for them now, um, coming off what's been the best year they had in a generation. Like there's a lot of a lot of momentum there, and they're now a team to really watch in free agency after <laughs> opening this money up. By the way, if you're bringing in Draymond, you probably need to let Harrison Barnes go because uh, <laughs> Draymond's still complaining about not getting invited to his wedding. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Well, um, Harrison's got a little hard feelings about uh, Draymond recruiting KD, basically kicking him out of Golden State. 15 hey. minutes after they lost game seven? Is that what you <laughs> – Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I would tend to agree with all that. And look, I'm not saying it's likely to happen. I'm just saying I know that Mike Brown and Draymond Green are very close. 
And if nothing else, it applies some pressure to the Warriors. Hey, Draymond had uh, Darren Fox on as a uh, on his podcast. Listen, that's no. uh, that's clutch, clutch city right there. Mm-hmm. Well, clutch city. It's definitely it's definitely interesting. It's definitely interesting. Uh, I'm not going to go into much more detail. We have other coverage elsewhere at ESPN. Um, the guys who are the draft experts that I did the, the show with tonight were surprised about Jet Howard going 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I agree. I'm not sure what else to make out of uh, the other stuff. We'll learn more about these guys. I'll learn more about these guys. Well, Monty Bates went to the Cavs. That's an interesting one. Late in the second round. Cam guy who wants a guy. Was the was the you know projected lottery pick who who slid and so you know yeah, we had Trey we had Trey Murphy on the show tonight and he was mm-hmm. talking about he went seventeenth and he is still salty and I'm going to underline it that he did not get invited to the green room on green draft room. night um, and he definitely is still remembers like classically all the guys who passed all the teams who passed on him. And he remembers trying to bust some teams who passed on him as early as summer league. So well, I'm sure well, Cam Moore will do that. Trey Murphy and Jordan Hawkins, the Connecticut guard that they drafted 14th on the wing shooting uh, Jordan Hawkins. I don't know how good an NBA player he's going to be, but you watch Jordan Hawkins shoot and he's got about the perfect looking jump shot. Like I saw him play one day in the Big East tournament at the garden and I, I was sitting with Jeff Barzell, our college guy. I was like, oh, who's the, who's the number one? Who's like the top prospect in this game? It was UConn and Providence. He goes, Jordan Hawkins, got a guy in Connecticut. And Jordan Hawkins came down and took one jump shot. I said, oh, that's why he's a top 20 prospect. <laughs> well, like you just, I will say, the part I will say for sure. that on the show, Trey called that they were going to get shooting. Not that that's shocking that an NBA team wants shooting. but well, he, Larry Nance was tweeting about, he was all fired up that they uh, they drafted a shooter also. Right. All right. So, um, all right. Well, more in the coming days, we got the highest volume uh, trade uh, transaction season coming up. Um, it's well after midnight. Jackson is sitting five feet from me and he's had a long day. So have I. So um, onward. We almost made it through the pod without Brian complaining about being tired and overworked. We almost hey, got to the hey, end. Hair almost. still looks great though, Wendy. <laughs> the quaff. Perfect. Yes. Well, I got the good lighting. I'm in the studio in Bristol right now. So <laughs> I got the good lighting. How's um, the chair, though? The chair is spectacular. Oh, looks luxurious. <laughs> <laughs> I can go to sleep in it because I've been up since 545. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. <laughs> My flight tomorrow is at 6 a.m. It's a Hoop Collective Podcast. Thank you to Jackson who made it all happen. I forgot my microphone. He got me this really nice microphone. But I guess if you don't have a microphone in Bristol, we're in trouble. Jackson is thank the you real to, MVP. Thank you to Tim Bontemps joining us uh, on draft duty in Barclays. Thank you to Tim McMahon joining us from Dallas. We will talk to you early next week. Adios, amigos. <laughs> Just wanted to keep you up.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.